0: What's up, everybody? Happy Monday morning! Welcome to the Pick Six Podcast. It is Monday, July thirtieth, two thousand and eighteen. Losing track of days, training camp swirling all around us. This is the daily CBS Sports NFL Podcast. I am your host, Will Brinson. I am thrilled to be here this week. Got a great show today. Two guys, two good friends of mine, joining the pro uh, joining the program. Both degenerates. And I feel like they would be fine with me saying that to them. Excuse me, I just banged my computer there. Um, Tom Frenelli, CBS Sports College football writer, notable for his Twitter activity and his Twitter tips, if you follow him there. And then Joe Fortenbaugh, who's coming, making a repeat appearance on the podcast. To uh, We're going to break down some fantasy stuff and also talk about some best bets for the season, some stuff we like, teams, over-unders that we want to take. First, let's dive into some news. Longer podcast today. By the way, if you like the longer podcast, feel free to let me know. You can tweet me at Will Brinson. You can email me at wilbrinson at gmail.com if you have fantasy questions. Been answering a bunch of emails this week. I'm serious. We're best friends if you listen to the show all the time, or at least like decently good friends. And I'm happy to email with you about your fantasy football team if you want advice. I, I really don't mind. I enjoy doing it. You um, can also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Please rate and review it if you like the program. If you don't like it, if you don't like talking about beer on this program, don't leave a review. You don't have to do that. You know what I bought? I bought a case of Modelo over the weekend. Modelo Especial. That's good beer. Cut up some limes, toss it in there, hang out by the pool. It's good stuff. Let's get to the news, though. A lot of offensive linemen got paid since the last time we had a podcast. In fact, uh, the podcast came out Friday. And, and just for full clarification, uh, Tom, Joe, and I recorded this on Friday. So when you listen on Monday, in case you hear anything, that's why. Um Taylor Lewan, Jake Matthews, and Dwayne Brown. Lewan, of course, the starting left tackle for the Tennessee Titans, now the highest-paid offensive lineman in NFL history, and it's hard to really blame the Titans for giving him the cash because someone will beat the deal. He is a Pro Bowl-caliber left tackle, made the Pro Bowl the last two years. They need somebody protecting Marcus Mariota's blind side. Saw so how critical. Um, I mean, look, it's a critical position. He's young. This will get him through his prime. You pay him the money. You keep him around. He was your first-round pick, um, you know, several years ago, back in 2014. Same year that Jake Matthews was drafted by the Falcons. Matthews was taken six uh, ahead of Lewan. It's a loaded draft class, by the way. Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, Aaron Donald, loaded. Um, David Clowney hadn't gotten paid yet either. But Jake Matthews got a new deal, pretty below market, $75 million uh, for five years. Still plenty of money, of course, but... You know, he didn't topple the Nate Solder deal, which is a little Nate Solder got in free agency to the Giants, which is a little bit surprising, but really good for the Falcons. They're doing a great job. They got Julio Jones in now. As we pointed out, they converted some some money into to guaranteed cash for him in 2018. They locked up Thomas Dimitrov. They locked up Dan Quinn. Um, you know, they now locked up Jake Matthews. They're probably going to lock up Grady Jarrett. It's a really good football team. Really good. Now that I've renounced my Charger Super Bowl pick, We'll get to more on that in a second. Uh, Might be looking at the Falcons. Just throwing it out there. Dwayne Brown also paid by the Seahawks. They need linemen, and they need their line to be much better than people think it will be. Um, In ridiculous question news, and and nothing surprising about Dwayne Brown getting locked up. They traded for him. You knew they were going to try and pay him. Um, Tom Brady was asked about Julian Edelman. And Alex Guerrero, and I believe he was asked by our friend, a friend of the program, Ben Volan of the Boston Globe, who does a great job covering the Patriots up there, was asked about that connection, and it's not unreasonable. Like if you know, trained with a private trainer, and then you get popped for you know four games for PEDs, people ask questions, and uh, Tom Brady called it ridiculous and stormed off. So expect any future Alex Guerrero discussions to be met with much consternation. Des Bryant had himself a weekend buddy. Uh, he, on Friday night, Des took to Twitter and he went on a big Twitter rant. He said, here we go with that scapegoat bleep. I charge everything to the game and went the other way. Y'all know what the real problem is. Don't put it on me with that bull bleep, garbage ass play calling. Everybody lined up in the same spot for 17 weeks. Stop sign emoji, crying, laughing emoji. Um, basically Des is, I was irate. Um, and asked about Stephen Jones. He said, he's not clueless. Jerry was the only one who was clueless. Bleep was a plan to get me out. Asked Travis and my brother Snake Lee. I mean Sean Lee. Oh, boy. So, Dez um, asked more about the stuff. And Sean Lee said, yeah, he's supposed to have been my brother. We laughed, talked about goals and stuff. He sat right across from me in the locker room. Never thought we had a problem. I got cut. He was the first to know. I find out he was also behind it. Damn. So, in other words, Dez is basically saying that all the people who are, as he has said previously, Garrett guys, and I'm doing air quotes there, um, you know, Dez is a Jerry Jones guy. And uh, everybody else is apparently a Jason Garrett guy or a Stephen Jones guy. And now Dez has uh, been released, and he's firing back at the Cowboys who decided to take some shots for him. Stephen Jones later clarified his remarks to say he wasn't trying to be negative about Dez Bryant. Uh, His his initial thing that started, he said, I think – that was tough last year with Dez Bryant in his ear. I think we'll have the year he had in 2016, if not better. In other words, Dez was mad that, that Stephen Jones said that about him. And so that is oh, also Jason Verrett out for the season. Charger starting cornerback, uh, Pro Bowl caliber player when he's healthy is almost never healthy. Was heading into a contract year, gonna miss the whole year, and that's why I renounced my Charger Super Bowl pick. They just cannot stay healthy, and it's brutal. I still think they'll be very good. I still think they'll win 10 to 12 games. But, man, if you if you believe that the Chargers can be great, it's not a great weekend for you. All right, let's get down to business. Let's get this show on the road. Tom Fernelli, Joe Fortenball. You can follow Tom at Tom Fernelli. You can follow Joe at Joe Fortinball. Easy enough. Let's hit him up. All right, Tom and Joe. Sounds like, uh, I like you guys' names. Got, a, got good names. Tom, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm good. Yeah, our names are uh, easy to remember and easier to spell, so they're good names to have. <laughs>
2: That's right. Joe, you doing all right? I'm doing well, and I think Tom and Joe would make for an excellent detective drama in the 1950s. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As someone who is the grandson of a Pat and a Joe and the son of a Bob, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board with this. Uh, and, a, and, a Robert, and a Robert myself. I probably would have been a Bob if my dad hadn't been a Bob. So, so there you go. Um, let's dive into it. I will uh, hand the, uh, what are we handing? A coconut, a torch, whatever it is that you, the, the conch shell, maybe from Lord of the Flies. That's some, some deep literary knowledge on my part. That's a
1: bad omen for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> going Lord <laughs> of the Flies. Uh,
0: I'll hand it to you first, Tom. We're going to go through five guys that you like in fantasy. Um, and then we'll we'll sort of pass it around and, and just curious to get thoughts on uh, various guys who you got.
1: Uh, the one guy I like, I mean, it's he's a he's a first round pick, I think, in most drafts or early second round. I, I really like Dalvin Cook. He's mm. he's right now. If you look at his ADP, he's basically the 10th running back off the board. But, you know, he's just he's the Vikings announced him fully healthy just at the beginning of camp. <laughs> And uh, I I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he finishes the season with more points than three or four of the running backs ahead of him. So I I really like Dalvin Cook. If you're picking towards the end of the first round, I think you can get really good value there. Another running back I like is Rex Burkhead. He's basically like a guy you're going to have as your flex option or a bi-week replacement running back. But I also think he's probably going to be the highest scoring back on that Patriots roster. And Sony Michelle is the bigger name right now because he's got all the rookie buzz. And he's going ahead of him in most drafts. But I think that you can get Burkhead in the seventh or eighth round. And he's probably going to score more points than Michelle would get for you. Uh, Receiver, I like Michael Crabtree. I just like him. I love him and I always have. He's currently the 27th (laughs) receiver off the board. 69th overall. So he's going in a nice spot there. He's late fifth, early sixth round, but he's the number one receiver on the Ravens. So even if that's, you know, we have to couch that with the number one receiver on the Ravens. I still think that's good value for where he's going in the draft. And then a guy I think that isn't getting a ton of attention, but I think is going to really benefit from the quarterback change is Jamison Crowder with the Redskins. Mm -hmm. I think he's a guy you can get as your wide receiver three in like maybe the eighth or ninth round. And he could probably end up being one of the higher scoring wide receiver threes in your league, depending on how your draft goes. And then at quarterback, I mean, things could change because camps just opened up and he's finally started throwing real footballs again. I I like Andrew Luck. He's right now he's the 11th quarterback being drafted behind guys like Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo and Matt Stafford. And this is a guy that was the number one QB in fantasy not too long ago, back in 2014. And I think if he's really healthy and he's back, you know, he's able to throw the ball, which he hasn't been healthy the last few years, even when he was playing. If he's actually healthy, I just really like the upside compared to where he's being drafted and behind some of the guys he's being drafted behind.
0: That's a very good list. I like I actually like that list a lot. You're not you're going to think I'm copying. I'm not not that I'm copying you, but I literally had just I was emailing with um, uh, Nate Ficken, who is a new just found the show this week podcast listener and he had a keeper question anybody who has a fo- fantasy football question and wants me to answer it i will do so you can email me at wilbrinson at gmail.com not guaranteed to be right but i'll answer it and uh <laughs> well he was looking at a a situation where he could potentially trade an 11 dalvin cook for a 66 six dollar Le'Veon bell and i mean i i i wrote this um i said in all seriousness there's a greater than zero chance that that dalvin cook can outscore Le'Veon Bell in 2018 now I don't think it's going to happen because Le'Veon Bell is really good but Dalvin Cook tore his ACL early in the season last year he was right there with Kareem Hunt in terms of in terms of putting up yards as rookie running backs I'm not that worried about Latavius Murray and I think that people will have to respect the Vikings passing game more this year than they did last year
1: yeah no I mean it's especially with Bell in the holdout situation and all that stuff and plus Bell is great of a yardage guy as he is you know the touchdowns in the red zone He's not always a higher touchdown scoring back, and Dalvin Cook, I feel like, yeah, you have to worry a little bit about maybe Latavius Murray snaking some goal line carries from him, but I think that he's going to be a three-down back for them for the most part, and maybe Murray will get a series here and there, but I think Cook's going to be the focal point of that offense.
0: Any thoughts on Cook there, Joe?
2: I'm interested to see how he performs coming off the injury. Loved him at Florida State and loved what we saw early in the season last year. There's versatility, there's speed, there's power, there's vision. I thought he was the best back coming out of that draft class when he got hurt. So there's a lot of upside there. Eight games playing at home in the Dome, I think you get a lot of uh, advantage coming from playing indoors, knowing the fast track over a road defense in that spot. It's just going to be the type of thing that's more of a wait-and-see for me off the injury. But by and large, I wouldn't knock that pick at all. He's a guy I've been high on for quite some time.
0: I like, Tom, that you have Jamison Crowder and Michael Crabtree, too, because to me, that's like taking – the under of a Pack twelve game or something like that, like they, they, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like like the, I, I like both those guys and they're both really good receivers, but they're not necessarily these like like you I think a lot of times in fantasy football people will you, you're trying to pick a like you're in the seventh or eighth round or whatever it is and you're like oh, Crabtree like he's he's a guy or like Jameson Crowder like he, I guess he's short but I think Crowder in particular um, for me you mentioned the fit of quarterback and, and wide receiver. He is the ultimate wide receiver you would want for a Charlie checkdown who does crossing routes. And that's exactly what Alex Smith is.
1: Exactly. I think it's just a dream fit for Crowder.
0: Um, Joe, are you high or low on that Redskins offense
1: this year?
2: I think that playing into Crowder and anything, the the Redskins to me come across as a, as a sub 500 team, Mm. maybe seven and nine at worst. I don't think there's a lot to get excited about right now. And I'm not sure there's a whole lot to get depressed about. I know that's, essentially a neutral answer, but that's how Alex Smith has always been viewed in my eyes. I'm never going to get excited about Alex Smith in any situation. He's nice for fantasy. He's nice to take care of the guys around him, but he's never going to go boom, and he's likely never going to go bust. So for Washington, that's a team that has barely been on my radar just because there's not a whole lot there for me to get excited about. But I do see the angle with Crowder. With Crabtree, it becomes very interesting. Watching him here in the Bay Area over the last four seasons since I've lived here He's consistent in fantasy. He's a good option on third down. He's the type of guy that's not going to break you off three catches for 90 yards and two scores, but he might roll up eight receptions on 10 targets for 101 yards and a score here and there. He tends to see a high volume of targets. He tends to make plays in crucial spots. He tends to run routes that are easy for guys like Joe Flacco to connect upon. That's the one I find intriguing because I think so many fantasy owners over the years have expected more from Crabtree than he's ever delivered. And even when he delivers strong numbers, I think the expectations are always higher than what the final result is. Therefore, We're getting to a point where you put him in Baltimore, you team him up with a guy like Flacco. I think people, by and large, are going to be down on that. They're not going to see a ton of upside, which means there's value to be had in drafting him at his current ADP.
0: Uh, And then Tom, I I think I agree with you on on Andrew Luck too. I mean, and I talked about this with Dave Richard last week, but Luck, right? If you're drafting right now, like you know, what is this is Monday in, in late July when people are listening to this? If you're drafting this week. Hammer Andrew Luck in your draft. Make sure you get him, even if you have to reach a little bit and maybe go eighth round or ninth round. This is a guy who would be going to the fourth or fifth round if he if he wasn't dealing with a mysterious arm injury that's kept him off the field for like two years. Uh, and so, it's, but I think he's fully healthy. I've got I've got a wager in on Andrew Luck to lead the NFL in passing at thirty to one on twenty five uh, single unit bet uh, at thirty to one. So I'm I am all in on Luck this year as well.
1: Uh, that's good value on that.
0: Yeah, it's already down to twenty-three to one, so I'm 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 pretty pleased with that. All right, Joe, how about your? Uh... Well,
1: he's he's going to need to be throwing in games
2: too. It's yeah. not like the Colts are going to yeah. find themselves leading by twenty in the fourth quarter on a consistent basis.
0: No, probably never. Uh, how about your? How about your five guys you got, Joe?
2: All right, so for the five I'm looking at, it's a combination of guys I feel that are going to outperform their average draft position, as well as a little local flavor. So let's start with the two guys I cover on a regular basis. Jarek McKinnon running back in San Francisco, there's a reason Kyle Shanahan went out and paid the amount of money he paid to bring McKinnon over from Minnesota this offseason. He's not going to be your typical workhorse back carrying 18 to 25 times a game. You're going to see some Matt Breida, and the Niners do still want to find some role for Joe Williams, although it remains to be seen whether or not he's ever going to live up to expectations. Breedle will be in there, but McKinnon's going to be big, especially in PPR leagues, based on the way Shanahan likes to run this offense. Take a look at some of the running backs he's dealt with in the past, specifically the guys he had um, in Atlanta when Matt Ryan won his Super Bowl. McKinnon right now, some people see him Fringe top 10, I've seen him as low as 14th or 15th at the running back position. There's a lot of upside here based on the offense he's going to be playing in. And speaking of that offense, I'm going to go to tight end George Kittle as well. Mm. 6'4", 250 pounds. The Niners, for as solid as they were with Jimmy Garoppolo over the final five games of the season, still really struggled in the red zone. Go back and look at that game against the Bears Specifically, when Garoppolo took over, Robbie Gold had a field day from the field goal department, and that continued in subsequent weeks. Kittle had a really nice rookie season, 63 targets, 43 grabs, 515 yards, and two scores in 15 games. That's going to be increased this year. Pierre Garcon's coming back from injury. Marquise Goodwin has the speed to blow the top end off a defense. That's going to open up some throwing lanes for Kittle underneath. And again, none of the wide receivers, or at least the ones who can be considered bankable at this point, bring a whole lot of size and power to the equation. Kittle at 6'4", 250 is a guy they're going to target in the red zone. And considering how much they struggled inside the 20 last year, I think that's where his value lies in the touchdown department. Number three this is going to be for a guy to stash, especially people in people in keeper leagues, but it's going to be Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. I don't think Joe Flacco is going to make it through the season as the starting quarterback of the Ravens. And everywhere you turn, you're starting to hear little comments and little rumors here and there about how good Lamar Jackson looks. So this is going to play out one of two ways. Either Flacco is going to fold under the pressure, continue to fail in meeting his expectations based on his contract and they're going to turn it over to Jackson or Flacco might come out and have one of the best seasons of his career because he's now being pushed by Jackson. I'm not going to bet on Flacco. He's had a nice career, but it was essentially one run when he gambled on himself and went all the way to the Super Bowl and won it against San Francisco where he cashed in. And since then, that contract has killed that franchise. And Joe Flacco has come nowhere near being an elite-level quarterback who's been able to take players on his team and get them to play at a new level. Lamar Jackson's a guy that might have minor value late in the season, but if you're in a keeper league, that might be a play for you. Number four in the wide receiver department, Nelson Aguilar in Philadelphia. First two years in the league, 28 total games. He had 113 targets, 59 grabs, 648 yards, and three scores. Last year, 95 targets, 62 grabs, 768 yards, 8 TDs. He's got a salary cap number of $2.9 million this season, final year of his four-year deal. Now, the Eagles did pick up the fifth-year option, so he's going to get $9.38 million next year. But essentially, he's playing for a contract. And he broke out big in Doug Peterson's system last year with Carson Wentz and played well with Nick Foles. This is a guy I think is going to outperform his ADP. Maybe not by a whole lot, but he's still going to be worth more than where he's currently being drafted. And then number five, and I'm going to admit there's a lot of bias here because I loved watching him play in college, but it's going to be Sony Michelle out of Georgia in New England. I understand what Tom was saying with Rex Burkhead. I've heard that from some other people before, and I'm not going to knock it. But I did find it fascinating that New England was willing to spend a first-round pick on a running back. They haven't done that since Lawrence Maroney back around 2004, I believe. In addition, they've taken D-linemen or O-linemen in the first round with four of their last five first-round picks prior to this year. And they still went ahead and did it with Isaiah Wynn at 23, and then came back later and took Michelle. I think there's a reason for that. I love his vision. I love his cutting ability. I think in New England, they see something special here. So I'm going to roll the dice on this pick, knowing full well that New England running backs are generally a game of Russian roulette.
0: Tom, I'll let you uh I'll let you counter that. I mean, you're a you're a you know you're a college, you're a college heavy guy. You love Sony Michelle, but but you, would you either have Burkhead or Michelle?
1: I think for where they're going in the draft, I would rather have Burkhead. I think Michelle's a dude who if if you draft him, I think he's gonna become more and more important to that offense as the season goes on. So I feel like over the second half of the season and maybe into the playoffs, I think maybe Michelle will have a much larger role than he does early in the year. So I, I feel like <laughs> If you draft him, you're going to have to be patient. That's the way I look at it. And where he's going in the draft in most rounds or in most drafts right now, I don't know if I want to be patient with a fourth or a fifth round pick if I don't have to. I want a guy who I'm going to be able to start from week one and kind of rely on. But I think long-term play, as far as later this season, or especially if it's a dynasty league or a keeper league, I, yeah, I, I like Michelle better than Burkhead in that way. Um, Will, here's
2: how this is going to work out. Yeah, yeah, you're going to draft Michelle, and you're also going to draft Burkhead. And every week you start Michelle, Burkhead's going to explode. <laughs> and every week you start Burkhead, Michelle's going to go nuts.
1: Yeah, that's 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 just Belichick trolling the world, though. Yeah, <laughs> he knows I think that.
0: I think I'm going exactly. to just. By the way, my son has showed up with uh, with the iPad as promised. So if you hear a, some, if you hear what sounds like a parrot shrieking in the background while playing Sonic the Hedgehog, that's uh, that's him. But a life he lives. Um, I've got a list of guys too. Like I don't. I like. I like the Kittle pick. I think that even with Kittle remaining firmly on most sleeper list, you're still seeing him kind of fall down a lot of draft boards. Like he doesn't end up going really early. And, and, like, the tight end position to me this year is so interesting because there's the three guys up top in Gronk, Kelsey, and Ertz. And then after that, there's just a huge drop off in terms of, you know, what you're going to get. Like, I like Evan Ingram, I like Greg Olson, but you don't know what you're going to get. And I think you can maybe gamble on a Trey Burton and pair him with a George Kittle who you can get late and hope one of those guys uh, breaks out. I don't have any tight ends on my list. I'll tell you two guys um, in the Dalvin Cook vein. That I that I that I like Odell Beckham and Julio Jones, and that sounds kind of ridiculous because they're pretty famous and everybody knows who they are. But Never heard of them, but they're falling in drafts below <laughs> Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, uh, you know Leonard Fournette. Like you can just you can just find them in the if you like you might be able, you're not going to get Ob- Odell in the second round, but you can get him in the latter part of the first round. You could you could, as Dave Richards said last week, you could walk out of a draft in the first two rounds with Odell and Julio, and I think if you do that and you kind of skew away from the running back heavy, the way that people are going, you can come away with some good value. Am I crazy, Tom, in in identifying wide receiver as a uh, potential market inefficiency?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I've seen it, you know, with if you look at the ADP and just some mock drafts I've already done, if you're picking late in the first round, there's a very good chance if you want to go that route, you can get both Beckham and Jones. And I think that the way the running back situation has worked out where we've seen kind of a – things shift back last year. I don't know if that's a long term trend or as much as it was just a result of the way things broke last season with, you know, with Julio Jones' T D luck only having the three touchdowns, you know, Del Beckham's injury. I think if those two stay healthy and just things balance out the way that they've always been with their career numbers, the fact that you could probably get – if you're drafting 10th, 11th, or 12th, the fact that you could probably get both of those guys if things break your way, I think if you're in a position to do that, I would definitely do that and then just try to take my chance finding running backs later in the third and fourth round to fill out my roster because I think that you could – really get a big payout from that. Yeah, and then uh,
2: both guys have yeah, reliable quarterback situations and in in New York this year, the, the the mere threat of a run from Saquon Barkley. I mean, think about what Beckham has been able to produce with virtually no threat of a running game where defenses could sit back and focus on bracketing Beckham. Now they're going to have to pay some respect to that running game. I think that might open up some play action over the top this year.
0: I yeah, I agree completely. Remember But Pat Shermer's offense is going to be better than Ben McAdoo's. And I know Eli had a good year in – 2016, but it was like mostly predicated on just throwing slants to Beckham until he finally jailbroke one. Uh, And Actually, I've got a list of three running backs. If you do end up going with those stud-wide receivers in the first two rounds, three running backs that I'm heavily targeting in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, Darius Geis out of Washington. I am all in on the rookie out of LSU. I think the Redskins got a steal. I think they will use him heavily as a feature back, even with Chris Thompson there, and I anticipate that – Um, he could maybe be a sleeper to lead the league in rushing if you wanted to put some cash on that at, like, 30-1. to Uh, Joe Mixon, the Bengals' second year back, they've improved their offensive line. By the way, the Redskins' offensive line should be much healthier. Mixon, they improved that that offensive line. They shipped Jeremy Hill's carcass out of town. And then Alex Collins for the Ravens, pretty good offensive line there as well. They want to pound the rock, and he was excellent in the second half. So if you go wide receiver, wide receiver, you can come back and grab – one, two, maybe three of those guys in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. I think Geis is going to end up, uh, Joe, being in the top three rounds by the time training camp rolls around.
2: Yeah, but Will, you're an SEC guy. You have to love what you saw from him with the Tigers. I mean, just freakish athletic ability. That size and power, when it's combined with the type of speed he flashes, that translates really well to the NFL. As soon as you mentioned that name, I thought to myself, no knock whatsoever. Mixon was a guy I liked um, coming out, but, I mean, outside of all the off-the-field stuff, you never know how it's going to work in Cincinnati. For years, I've been getting excited about all the different backs they've been trotting out. Jeremy Hill, and the list goes on and on. You guys know it. I, I, it feels as if you get an underwhelming performance out of this offense each and every year. Collins is the really impressive one because he was completely misevaluated and misused in Seattle. And as a result, Baltimore ends up in this situation where they could be sitting on gold and nobody realizes it. I think there's a lot to like about that play.
0: I think Tom was gonna. Ch- I was hoping Tom would chime in and go. Will's an SEC guy. I thought Will is a. <laughs> He's
1: an ACC
2: guy. <laughs> oh, that's right. No,
0: are fine. In South it's Carolina fine. or North, North Carolina, Carolina. but
2: you're an NC State guy. Yeah.
0: My bad. No, no, no. It's fine. No, I was, I was, I was just picturing Tom being like, Will wishes that his team was in the SEC.
1: <laughs> was it- no, you don't. If your team was in the SEC, they'd be going three and nine every year.
0: I don't know. I think that I think the Atlantic Division in, in in the ACC is harder than any of the SEC divisions. No, 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 no. They no. have Steve Adazio in there. Have you seen that man?
1: <laughs> He's got some dudes <laughs> being no, guys. I, I like the I like your guys pick because I mean this is a dude who when he was at LSU, like he was there as the backup pretty much to Fournette for his first couple years in LSU. And when Fournette was dealing with like his ankle injuries and missing games, my initial inclination was, oh man, this is going to be a big blow for LSU's offense. And then Geis came in, performed just as well, if not better, than Fournette had been during his time. He wasn't doing the highlight, you know, bowling ball runs where he was running guys over, but he was he was just as productive and probably a bit more explosive than Fournette was. So I think that Geis is a guy that was kind of overlooked during his time at LSU. And I agree he's somewhat because he's a rookie and you know, people maybe not as familiar with him. He's being a little overlooked now, but I I think once training camp goes and we start seeing preseason games, I think Geis is going to play well in the Redskins preseason game, so we're going to see him start you know rocketing up draft boards.
0: I do too. Uh, let's talk some bets. So the, the, oh and uh, I'll just mention very quickly two other uh, two two other three other guys two quarterbacks Matt Ryan and Philip Rivers clearly a homer pick, but I I I'm waiting on quarterback this year, and I think you can get those guys so late. After you can get Matt Ryan, after Patrick Mahomes goes, and I think Patrick yeah. Mahomes is great, but Patrick Mahomes' upside is like Matt Ryan. So, so I, don't, yeah. I don't know what we're doing there.
2: You can get Derek Carr as a QB, two, and let's face it, he's got weapons in Amari Cooper and Jordy Nelson. He's got a solid offensive line, and there's no way his play calling or his offensive coaching can be any worse than what he dealt with last season. It's a guy that was an MVP candidate two years ago, so if you end up going late at quarterback and you grab Carr as your QB, 2 you're going to have some flexibility there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then uh, Naheem Hines, you should draft Naheem Hines in PPR leagues. He's great. Um, that's all. That's all I've got for the sleepers. It's all NC State guys. So, Tom, <laughs> uh, so Tom, I'll go to you first. When you look at when you're trying to put together some bets for the 2018 season over under props. bet. Yeah, I mentioned the Andrew Luck to lead the league in passing yards. That's one of mine. Uh, what, what would be your number one thing that you're honing in on?
1: Uh, a win total that I really like. I like going the under on the Lions win total. It's oh. currently at eight at the Westgate. I could see this team being like a five and eleven, six and ten team. This oh. is for me, my concern with the Lions is, you know, Matt Patricia's come in. He's the new head coach. He's kind of bringing he wants to run the ball. They've revamped their offensive line. they they signed LeGarrette Plunt. They've drafted carry on Johnson. They're shifting to a running game, I feel like with Matt Stafford, who I think that we've seen in the last few years, While he's not an elite quarterback, Stafford has been he's more comfortable in a shotgun type of offense where he's dropping back. You know, he doesn't have to drop back. He's able to just throw the ball around. Use Golden Tate pretty much as their running game and then get Marvin Jones deep. And I feel like with the shift that we're going to see, I don't know if the Lions are going to be playing to their strength this year. And I feel like playing in the NFC North where they're going to have to play both the Vikings and the Packers twice. And then a Bears team that I think will be somewhat improved this year. And a difficult schedule outside of the division, I could see the Lions easily finishing five and eleven. So I, I really like the under there. I think it's a little too high at eight. Uh,
0: how about you, Joe? Any thoughts on the Lions and/or your your top bet that you're looking at?
2: I certainly wouldn't disagree with that. Any movement that you've seen on that win total, depending on the sports book, is moving in Tom's direction towards the under. And the logic is there. Look at the division. You're not going to go to Minnesota and win. You're probably not going to Lambeau and winning. And I'll tell you what, the Bears are going to be a little bit better than people expect, at least in my opinion. That could be a tough game at Soldier. Then Minnesota, Green Bay, and Chicago all coming to town. What do you come away with there? Best two and one? So in the division, I think you're going to have four losses right off the top. Um, it wasn't on my list, but if I was to give out win totals, I've got a week one game for you. I've got some yes no playoff props. You can and throw out whatever you want. The- nah, you don't have to
0: you don't have to do overrunners, you can do whatever whatever you want. Anything anything you can find something to bet on, we we allow on this podcast.
2: Pure degeneracy at its finest. Yes. I love it. All right, so I'll start with this, and I'll go chronological. I'll give you something in week one. The second half of the Monday night doubleheader, Rams-Raiders in Oakland. Over-under on this game is 49 and i am going to play the under, and I think you can probably wait. Assuming no injuries occur, with it being a primetime game, then the public loving to bet overs, you might be able to tick this thing north of 50 the reason I'm going to play the under is that you are going to have a very loud, very hostile environment in Oakland for this game. I don't think Sean McVay is going to want to put Jared Goff in too many dicey situations. Plus, uh, McVay's already doing with Goff what they do in college football. He's basically yelling the checks to him from the sidelines. If he doesn't have the capability of doing that because of the crowd noise, I think you're going to see a heavy dose of Todd Gurley in this game, as this team should want to do. In addition to that, you add Aqib Talib and Marcus Peters to the cornerback platoon, and you throw in an uncertain Derek Carr, who's going to be learning a new system. I think the Raiders are going to struggle to move the ball offensively against the defense, and I think the Rams are going to be content to kind of grind it out on the ground with Todd Gurley, eat up the clock, and try to take the crowd out of it. I'm going to play the under 49.5 in that game. And then if I'm going to throw out one season win total... I know in Vegas one of the hottest plays is the over on the Browns. You continue to see this number tick up. It's sitting about five and a half right now. The over is juiced heavily to minus 155. Tyrod Taylor is able to manage games, and it looks like it could be a redshirt season for Baker Mayfield. You throw Tyrod Taylor in there and let him do his thing with some of the other players on that team, the Browns should be able to find a way just through sheer luck and coincidence To backdoor themselves into a few wins here i mean they're the worst turnover differential in the league last year at minus 28 history shows it's very tough to sustain those kind of numbers they should have a bounce back in that department and if they do that usually translates to a handful of wins so while that one's popular in vegas i've kept an eye on that also under eight wins on the seattle seahawks chancellor's done sherman's done Bennett's done. Earl Thomas is unhappy. The offensive line is kind of messy. They're looking at Rashad Penny to step in as a running back, but who knows how it's going to play. Russell Wilson is constantly running for his life. One injury in that entire bus comes unglued. All four wheels fall off and the thing's stranded on the side of the road. Seattle's trending in the wrong direction. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the end of the road for Pete Carroll and he hightails it back to college in some way, shape, or form. I played the under on the Seahawks. Wow.
0: Where do you, where does Pete, maybe Pete Carroll comes back to NC State. Tom, what do you think about that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because Dave Doran left for a better job or what?
0: (laughs) No, no. He'll be Dave Doran's uh, defensive coordinator. I'm sure Pete would take that. (laughs) Um, The Browns think the only thing that concerns me is that like it shouldn't be sustainable but hugh jackson is i'm sorry for my screaming child um hugh jackson has managed to make it sustainable and one in 31 in his last two years and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a little worried about that schedule that's just that's ridiculous. ridiculous that's Robbie. go downstairs the um, the the Steelers at Saints, Jets at home on a Thursday night at Raiders and Ravens and Chargers at home. I mean, they could easily be one and five in Cleveland, and at that point, I wonder if they yank the cord on Tyrod Taylor and go with Baker Mayfield. If they get out to like three and three there, it's a whole different ball game. And at that point, I mean, obviously, you're waltzing to the win. Uh, what else you got, Tom?
1: Uh, and over, I really like as far as season win totals. I, I To k- kind of go along with what Joe was talking about with the Seahawks, I really like the Rams going over. They're currently at nine and a half last I checked. I think that this is a team that could really take advantage of its division this year because the Cardinals, I don't expect to be great. I know they get David Johnson back, but they're kind of in a transition with the quarterback. They've got Sam Bradford. I think it won't be long before we see Josh Rosen getting snaps there. The Seahawks are clearly on a denward, downward trend San Francisco, I think, is going to be better. I just don't know how good it's actually going to be. So I look at the Rams. I see a team that could probably go 5-1, and 6-0 and in its division by itself just based on that. With its offense and the defense, it's going to be phenomenal. So I really like the Rams over. As far as a week one line that kind of caught my attention is as far as the games go – the Giants current—they'll be opening the season at home against Jacksonville. They're currently three and a half point dogs at home, kind of what we talked about when we were going over our fantasy sleepers. You know that Giants offense is going to be better this year. It's the most complete Giants offense I can remember in a long time. Now that they've got an actual, real, legit running back back there to help open up the field to be able to use the entire field, and this is a Jacksonville team that while it still has an elite defense. I don't really trust Blake Bortles at, at this at any point. And him going on the road, even in the season opener, I don't know. I You kind of expect him to make a mistake or two, and for the Giants to be getting three and a half points at home in the opener, I, I like the Giants in that week one matchup to cover.
0: Whose revenge game is that? Tom Coughlin's or the Giants? Re- like, I feel like Tom Coughlin's already re- gotten his revenge on the Giants for them being terrible
1: last year. Yeah, I think Coughlin already won that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, what
1: else Tom, you got? With you, Tom,
2: you're based in Chicago, right? Correct. So I'm looking at the Bears. They're sitting at six and a half. The money that's come in has come in on the over. It's pushed the juice on the over from minus one thirty to minus one fifty. Being local, what do you make of them? Because I've been I've been leaning to that over.
1: I lean under myself. Now wow. I, I couch this with being an eternal bears pessimist because I've watched the Bears my entire life. So but it's to me I mean, I I was on the pod a couple months ago. I think we talked about this. We'll talk about the Bears. Are they the next Rams? I don't I see a lot of correlation between why people would think that the Bears are going to be this year's Rams. And, you know, the new young coach, the second year quarterback. But the difference to me is the Rams last year had an all world defense. The Bears defense is good, but they don't have the pass rush for, in my opinion, that's going to turn them into an elite defense on offense they don't have a Todd Gurley their wide receiver core is improved and I like Jordan Howard as a running back but he's not to Todd Gurley's level and I just don't see this as a situation where the Bears and again going to their divisions the Rams last year took advantage of an NFC West that was down with the Cardinals in the in uh, the 49ers being bad last year and the Seahawks going the wrong way the Rams took advantage of that I think the Bears can take advantage of catching up to Detroit a bit, but I still don't see a way in which that team is competing with Minnesota and it's competing with Green Bay and it's got a tough schedule. It's got, you know, the Rams, the Patriots, they're playing all these teams. So when I look at the Bears, I think if this team gets to seven and nine, eight and eight, that's a best case scenario. So I I don't think the over is out of play, but I see five and 11 and six and 10 is probably a much more realistic end for this team in 2018. I had
0: Warren Sharp was on the podcast on on Friday, and he really likes the Bears over. I do too. I, I mean, I do feel like everybody's a little too in on the Bears, though. You know, like when when something's. Like the Rams in 2017, before 2017, they were, you know, everybody was in on the Rams, or people people were like, oh, the Rams could be good in like two years, but nobody was like, the Rams are making a leap this year like they are with the Bears. Everybody's just assuming the Bears are going to jump up and make a leap, and maybe they're a playoff team, but that would that would require winning nine or ten games in the NFC.
1: Yeah, and I, I just don't see them being that good. Now, that said, maybe Mitch Trubisky takes a huge step forward in Matt Nagy, Mark Helfrich's offense, and things really click and get going. It's just I see this team being headed in the right direction, but I don't see it being quite to where it needs to be to be a real playoff contender just yet.
0: Uh, What else you got, Joe?
2: There was one I was looking at. It's juicy, but one of the things the Westgate does, they they put a few of these out last year, and it was so popular that now they do it for every team. It's a yes-no for each of the 32 teams on whether or not they make the playoffs. And I'm looking at Jacksonville minus 160. I'm looking at the defense, Fournette, and everything they have to offer. I know Bortles is a question mark, but they felt confident what they saw late in the season from him. I see them getting in. I mean, the AFC, what, you've got New England, and then what else do you have in the AFC East? Last year, Buffalo grabbed a playoff spot, but everyone's predicting a regression there. Pittsburgh, obviously, solid in the north, heavy favorites to win the division. Baltimore's got question marks. No one's thinking much of Cincinnati. If Cleveland makes a leap, that means what? Five or six wins, so they're not going to be a threat. The South is legit. Jacksonville, Houston, Tennessee, all could be in it. Indy's going to bounce back. And with the Jason Barrett injury in Los Angeles for the Chargers, coupled with Hunter Henry, if that team falls off and Gruden doesn't get it going in Oakland, it's wide open for some of these wild card spots. So Jacksonville at minus one sixty, even if they wouldn't win the division, I think they'd be primely positioned to grab one of two wild card spots. Again, Juicy at minus one sixty on the yes there, but that's something I would get behind. I, I don't see this team stepping back much from what we saw last year. Maybe they don't find themselves in the AFC championship game, but they're still a force to be reckoned with. That defense is no joke.
0: Yeah, the no the Jags are they have they're loaded. They have Ngakwe, Jalen Ramsey, A. J. Bouye. Calais Campbell, I I was talking with R.J. White, uh, one of our NFL editors. He's actually a little bearish on the Jaguars, which I was surprised by. Um, I tend, I think, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this division. Um, I like the Titans a lot. I, I can't take the Jaguars under or bet bet on the Jaguars and miss the playoffs. So I'm with you. Uh, a team that you mentioned, the AFC though, that I really like, the Ravens over eight. I think you're either going to get. Some of Lamar Jackson, which is what you talked about earlier, and in that case, I'm I'm on board with Lamar. You know, he might not be ready to to lead an NFL offense day one and be a perfect. You know, pocket passer, but he's an explosive playmaker who destroyed teams at the college level, and he can do some damage for the Ravens. And worst case scenario, Joe Flacco, with his back against the wall, plays really well. They got a pretty good defense, and uh, they're in, they're in a division that I don't think is exactly loaded. I also like I, uh, I I'm not going to confirm. I literally just put this in, but I might have uh, in in the, in the wake of the well, not literally because people are listening to this on Monday, but in the wake of the Jason Forret injury, uh, I like the Chiefs over eight and a half. And they got a tough schedule to start, six really tough games out of the gate, but we know how those schedules can look in, in July versus how they actually look in September. And I, I don't think Andy Reid, Tom, is trading Patrick, or is trading Alex Smith because Patrick Mahomes is okay.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can see that personally I'm a little I'm always hesitant to go over with teams that are being quarterbacked by a guy that really hasn't been through it yet I understand the talent and the potential that Mahomes has but when I went through it their what their total was eight and a half I have the Chiefs pegged at nine and seven when I went through their schedules when I was preparing for this so I I think that it's going over I'm just not super confident in it because until I see Mahomes actually doing it on a week to week basis I don't want to buy in completely just yet
0: do you think Joe that this line moves to nine by the time we see Mahomes I mean Mahomes like today the Chiefs open training camp there's like shots of Mahomes just bombing the ball down the field to Tyree kill do you think that sort of stuff influences this up to nine
2: you're gonna need for for a move off of the actual number I mean they, they love to move juice before they like to move the numbers right. so if you would see this move to nine that would remind me of I can't remember the year that the the Packers beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl right so you gotta go all the way back to whatever that is maybe 09 2010 11 that Super Bowl in Dallas Um, there was a preseason game that year, because I remember I was really liking the Packers for my pick that season. And they had this game, it was like a Monday night preseason game against Peyton Manning and the Colts, and they shellacked them by like 40. They absolutely hammered Indianapolis. And the next day, everyone came out picking the Packers to win the damn Super Bowl. And it just got blown out of the water. Now, people liked them beforehand, but that one moment turned the tide. And they went from being kind of an interesting pick to – a consensus play coming out of the NFC. If something like that were to happen for Kansas city, if we'd all be watching them in one of their preseason games and Patrick Mahomes just lights it up, that's what it's going to take. Peter King needs to write an article about how he's the next big thing, or someone mainstream needs to really hype the situation. Then you'll get one or two betters who fire, and then you'll get the move. So I could see it happening, but that's, that's going to take some work between now and then. But we've watched Andy before. Andy's been great with quarterbacks. He got the most out of Alex Smith. He got the most out of Donovan McNabb. He brought back Michael Vick. I mean, he, he's, he, he's very good with that position, so there's no reason to believe if he was going to trade up that high for Patrick Mahomes, trade Alex Smith away, and then have this much time to develop the kid over the course of a year that he wouldn't go into this fully confident in his abilities.
0: Uh, Tom, what else you got uh, hanging out there? We're actually, I just realized that I've kept you guys longer than I meant to, but we'll, uh, we'll hammer out the rest of them. What you got?
1: Uh, another under that I like is Tampa Bay. They're currently at six and a half. I, Jameis is obviously suspended for the first you know three or four weeks of the season, then they got the bye. So they're pretty much without him for like the first five games of their season. And I don't think they're gonna be all that good when he's back anyway. I just don't think Tampa Bay's a very good team and as I was going through the schedule and I was trying to figure out where their wins were, I can't see them getting past five and eleven, let alone getting to the seven and nine that they would need to get the over on the six and a half there. So that's that's another one I really like do,
0: where do you where do you stand on Mike Evans in, for fantasy purposes? Are you,
1: I think Mike Evans for fantasy wise is still going to be solid because he's Mike Evans, but it's so boom or bust because he's not he's such a he's more of a deep, deep threat guy, than yeah. he is anything else. So I feel like he's going to be a guy that's either scoring you, you know, 15 points a week or he might score you six or seven in the other one. because he's only caught like three passes for 70 yards.
0: Now The downside is if, if Tampa, by the way, if Tampa goes two and one in their first three games with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you're probably.
1: Intrigued. Oh, Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, if, need, they, if they're need, playing well yeah. without Jameis,
0: yeah, you need him to be zero and three. The one thing that worries me is that defensive line. But I mean, look, like even if you go, like let's say they, even if they go one and two in those first three games, they're still facing the NFC South. Like you still had six games against the Panthers, Saints, and Falcons.
1: Yeah. It's I, I just don't see – that's the thing. When I'm looking at that schedule and I'm going through it, it's like I don't see a lot of games where I'm really confident, okay, well, they'll win that game or they'll win that game. It's like, oh, they're definitely going to lose that game, and then it's like, oh, that's kind of a coin toss. So when I see that kind of situation, it's, I just have a really hard time seeing them get to seven and nine.
0: What else you got? Oh, to- Tom, is that your last one?
1: uh No, I got one more. Yeah, uh, another away. one that I like. Uh, you meant Joe mentioned earlier, the Westgate has the props on teams to make the playoffs. Yes or no. I like the Falcons at uh, yes, to make the playoffs. They're getting even odds and. I'm somewhat scared of it simply because I don't really trust Steve Sarkeesian as a play caller that much, but I still just think that that team has enough talent on offense. And if Devontae Foreman's back and get kind of gets back to what he was and Julio Jones's touchdown rate and Matt Ryan's touchdown rate just regresses back to the mean, their normal levels of what they should be at. I think this is a Falcons team that will it, definitely be in the wild card hunt and is in the contention to win the NFC South. I think that, you know, I think they could probably like we just discussed take advantage of a Buccaneers team that I think is really going to be bad for two wins right there. So I I like it at even odds for the Falcons to make the playoffs. I just think that's really good value.
0: I agree completely. I, I think when, when these lines first drop, I did a podcast with Frank Schwab, and I had both the Chiefs and the Falcons as teams I would want to take to make the playoffs at plus money or even money. Atlanta just – I think their defense could start clicking this year. Uh, what else you got, Joe?
2: I would say if I had one last one, I might make an investment on the Raiders at plus 170 to get into the playoffs. You and I talked about this about a week ago. The Gruden factor, it could be a total boom or a total bust. (laughs) I could see it going both ways. So at plus 170, based on the way the schedule sets up, I'd probably make a small investment in this at some point just so I had a position on it. It's going to be a better offense than what we saw under Jack Del Rio last season, that's for sure. Gary and Conley, if he can step into the defensive role and make some plays as an impact guy at corner, is going to drastically improve a secondary that's both old and banged up. They really need an infusion of young talent in that secondary. And when you look through the schedule, the Raiders for years – have had these awful scheduling spots, back-to-back, early start times on the East Coast where they hang out there, you know, these international travel games where they give up a home date. That's happening again this year when they go to London to play Seattle. But by and large, they get a game against Pittsburgh in primetime at the Coliseum, they're not going to end up getting stuck on the East Coast for back-to-back weeks this year. It's a, it, it, The schedule sets up nicely to put them in a position where they could take advantage of, say, a stumble from the Chargers or maybe Patrick Mahomes going through some some growing pains. I don't see Denver making a whole lot of noise with Case Keenum at quarterback. So at plus 170, if thinking Gruden is either a complete boom or a complete bust, I'll, I'll take a position there.
0: It's not a bad price there. I, the, speaking of the Raiders, one guy that – I should have mentioned that list of fantasy guys I like. I'm in on Amari Cooper this year. I mean, like, I get that he's not had a bad season last year, but he's still, like, 24. And you can get him in the fourth or fifth round. He has wide receiver one potential. Give him to me all day.
2: Yeah, yeah he's going to be playing for a contract, too. So, it's, it's, he's got they have got to get him involved and see if they can get him to the next level. I know two seasons in Oakland that some people have thought he hasn't lived up to expectations. He went back-to-back back with 80-plus receptions. That's nothing to sneeze at.
1: Can we talk about how cruel it is that the NFL is making Seattle and Oakland fly to London for a game? <laughs> that is a long flight, man. It's like yeah, it's, it's long brutal. enough it's long enough from the East Coast. They have them doing it from the West Coast. That's just mean.
2: I mean, if you're going to get $700 million in public funding from the city of Las Vegas and the state of Nevada and the, the owners are going to vote in your favor, you're going to have to take some bullets for them down the road, <laughs> and that's absolutely what's happening here. Mark Davis has no say when it comes to this international series.
0: That's hilarious. I like that they're like, Mark, pack your ball cut. You're going to London.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: all right, on that note, uh, let's pack our stuff and get out of here. This is a fun time, guys. Joe Fordball. Um, you can follow him at Joe Fortenball. And then Tom Fernelli. you can follow him at Tom Fornelli. Anything else that you guys want to plug, 95.7 The Game for Joe. And, of course, uh, everything on CBSSports.com, Sportsline.com. And uh, is it Tom's Twitter tip of the day, I believe. What does it, it refer to? The ever-popular or the renowned Twitter tip of the day? Is it renowned now?
1: I don't know if it's renowned quite yet, but it's, it's heavily followed.
0: Mm, that's good. Um, I'm, I'm, am a fan. That's good. And you do, you do good work. You guys both do good work. Thanks for joining the podcast.
1: My Always pleasure. a pleasure,
2: Will. Thanks so much for having me on, Tom. Pleasure talking with
1: you. You, you too, Joe.